Thanks for once again finding Organic Matters. And let me give you thanks. I'm not sure where you picked me up. Again, on one of the radio stations where I'm actually transmitted live each week or on one of the podcasts. But either way, tell your friends about me. It's very easy to find. Organicmatters.info on most every podcast. Or if you really, really want to get lazy, it's Bruce, B-R-U-C-E dot Dooley, D-E-U-L-E-Y dot com. And you can pick up my URL any anywhere you have Wi-Fi. For this part of the show, I'm talking about something that I've been interested in and I've talked about before. But somebody wrote a recent article. I'm not sure. Somebody sent it to me. It's a local newspaper. That's all I'll tell you. But I'll pull information from it and then add my tidbits about it. But it's uh, something that, that we're going to all have to learn to live with. I have in different parts of the nation where I've either visited, stayed for months, or even lived. And it's become really a part of our ecology, sometimes in spite of ourselves, and sometimes people either like it or don't like it. And that's the number of nocturnal animals that actually live in our urban areas, in our cities, and even in our small towns that we really... I hope, have learned to live with. Of course, there's always this group of people that want to annihilate everything. They see a fox cross the street, and they think it's going to eat their cat. I can't say it never would, but believe me, very, very rare happening. And then, you know, they'll see a possum at night, and we're at the idea that possums are dirty, but we'll talk about that too. So anyway, just my, my kind of kicks on what I'll say, nocturnal animals and their benefits to urban ecosystems. After most of us call it a day in our local cities and urban areas, nocturnal animals, furry or winged incidentally, come out to, I'd say to play, but actually to exist. And actually, we should be thanking them. Night stalkers like bats, owls, and raccoons prowl the urban landscape. And I might note here that if they didn't, the ecosystem would actually suffer from it. Thrown out of balance as common prey like rats, mice, and mosquitoes would thrive way more than they do now. Thank goodness we do have our nighttime prowlers. A lot of folks don't realize our animals in the urban areas are actually nocturnal. And for good reason. Sometimes we think of wildlife being kind of out there, outside the city. But a lot of species have adapted to the urban environment and they live right along with us. As an example, 10 of the largest bat colonies in the entire world, folks, are in the state of Texas. They're migratory free-tailed bats, which are the most common kind, and they always move south during the winter. They're very vital to pest control all across the state. Because there's so many bat mouths to feed, it's estimated the winged diners themselves save agricultural industry not hundreds or millions, but billions of dollars in pest management costs each year. Texas has over 40 species of bats, each one eating a variety of insects. There are a couple of species right at the Mexican border, though, that also eat agave nectar and in that way help pollinate the plant throughout the South Texas area. Unfortunately for us, bats actually have kind of a sweet tooth for mosquitoes. Well, in truth, that bug, that insect, the mosquito accounts for less than a few percent of the bat's diets. Their big diet are moths, incidentally. It is still enough to help manage the mosquito's numbers. And though a lot of people don't realize that, raccoons, possums, and especially skunks also literally pig out on insects after the sun goes down. 
Let's stop here just one minute and talk about one of my favorite animals. It's so maligned, and I I guess just because he's not very handsome, he's not very pretty, he's not very thought highly of until you get to know him. And, of course, that's the possum. It's actually one of the species that go out what I call above and beyond uh, what you would be consider its normal duty. With its flurry body that picks up ticks during trots through our urban as well as our forest area, each possum can actually polish off about 5,000 of these insects, mostly ticks, every week. Folks, that's 5,000 fewer potential carriers of diseases that harm us. There's some real bad diseases we get just from ticks. Incidentally, it's now kind of been shown evolutionarily, fancy term, that this may have evolved intentionally. These ticks get on them, and then when they're in their resting stage, when you and I think they're all asleep each day, and they are, they're kind of curled up, but they're not asleep, they then cleanse themselves, clean themselves of these ticks that they pick up. And, and again, it's estimated that a, on a, a good 24-hour period, each possum eliminates about 5,000 ticks that could cause real problems for us. While some of these predators aren't strictly nocturnal, they do mostly prefer nighttime. That's when few of us are, uh, we'll call ourselves uh, the threats, are around to cramp their style. But they help do and do a rather great job of eliminating great numbers of rats and mice and other, I want to use the word vermin, uh, that otherwise we would have to contend with. For instance, an adult barn owl can eat about 10 rodents on any given night, during, especially during their brooding season when, of course, they're feeding their babies. That's from oh, sometimes in the spring all the way into early summer. An entire nest of barn owls could eat a thousand mice in one season. Think about that. Keeping the rodent populations much lower in the cities than they would otherwise be. Of course, part of the reason is at night there's less competition for the owls since other birds of prey hunt during the day. And Owls are well known to be able to see very, very well at night. However, to keep these nocturnal animals around, it's best to keep temptations like food and garbage inaccessible to them to prevent them from learning to depend on them rather than do their normal duties. They get too used to us feeding them or being around people. There's a greater chance of conflict between us, the humans, and them. We just need to learn and educate others that it doesn't have to be zero wildlife and zero animals in urban areas. They've learned to live very well with us, and yes, there are exceptional problems. I just got through living in an area outside of Austin, Texas, where even though I love deer, there were so many deer you couldn't even grow anything, yet that area had an ordinance against doing anything with them. So I love them all. There is a limit, though, and it is part of us as an integrated part of the environment that we balance it out within reason. So your neighborhood, wherever it is, folks, can really be a part of, I'll call it this particular story, the nightly ecosystem, which in turn actually benefits us all. In essence, they're really just our wild neighbors. I hope that gives at least some of you a, a different look at where you live and what lives around you as we populate this earth with 8 billion of us. Uh, we really don't need to eliminate everything else living here. As a part of this sort of continuing story, let me tell you a personal story that I've dealt with, gosh, for 50 years. 
I went over to Texas. I, I was originally raised in Georgia and we had the offer at a very early age to come and back then we used to call it collect reptiles. I've been in reptiles all my life, mostly turtles and tortoises in Texas. I come to South Texas. There's an endangered turtle here, folks, a tortoise that is really in trouble. And you'll see why in, in a minute. But uh, at the time, they weren't so bad. 50 years ago, they were relatively common. But I went to find them. You know, they're basically from south of San Antonio into Monterrey and that part of Mexico. But in the big scheme of things, they don't have a very big uh, natural range. So that's part of the reason they're so limited is there's, they're not found in a lot of places. But what was the biggest surprise was I was going to these big ranches and asking for permission to mostly photograph, although we did collect some specimens at the time, and found out that the ranchers, at least a percentage of the ranchers, killed all of them. They readily, Every tortoise they would see, they'd go out of the way to run over it on the road, or they would shoot it, or they would uh, hit it with a hammer or whatever they had with them, with the misconception, and you're going to love this, that the tortoises were eating quail babies. And, and on the surface, when they told the story, I could see why they believed it till they got to the real story. What they would occasionally come across, and this is where the folklore came from, they would come across these tortoises, and they'd be where there was a quail nest, and they were eating the eggshells. That story went on to say that what they had done was eat the baby birds, and the shells were left. When indeed, no, after much study, including back then, even filming what was going on. So what was really happening was they were eating the egg shells. If they attempted to get near the nest before that, the mama quail did her little dance and a little puff and it just, they, it just wouldn't let them get to her eggs. But after those eggs were hatched, there's a real shortage of calcium available for animals in the wild. And these tortoises would be seen eating what was only left, the eggshells themselves. So a good number of the country ranchers, even though they meant well in the long term, were actually annihilating these tortoises, thinking that they were eliminating the quail. But in reality, what actually helped eliminate the quail is the quail, we've now discovered, have to have a tremendous natural territory for each covey in order to have all the foods necessary to make them a successful animal. They're very particular in which seeds they eat, what and when. And as we completely change the natural habitat where they live, they no longer are able to survive in a number of these areas. And I'll add on to this another little tidbit that I learned the hard way. Their other answer was that fire ants had eliminated quail because they took the nest. Again, another misnomer that after real science study, folks, facts talk, uh, that's not true. Fire ants did get into a percentage. They estimated after study about 2% period, 2% of the little quail when they would first hatch out of the egg. Mama couldn't keep them all clean enough until they got well dried off. And when a member, little baby quail gets up and in an hour or two, if it's not able to run and go with its mama, it's not going to make it anyway. So the ants would move in as soon as the eggs hatched. There was some moisture there. There was some protein there. But no, they also were not a very big percentage of the part of the problem of our quail populations going down. The problem, again, it's hard to say it, is us. It's not that we intentionally did anything to help eliminate the quail. They're trying to bring them back now. It's that in naturally 
reclaiming the land is the word we use, stripping it off, burning it, cutting it, doing whatever. Uh, at the wrong times of year, Mother Nature used to burn our property too. Uh, we have restricted the natural habitat that the coveys of quail need in order to be a successful species. I could go on. There's a number of other species which we've unintentionally, so I'm not blaming us like we're out there intentionally doing it. It's just that we didn't have the knowledge. Here we go again. Science talks, folks. For those of you who have listened to this show for over 20 years, I try to learn the facts as they are facts, not as they're fairy tales. And there's a bunch of fairy tales out there. There's, come on, I came from the state of Georgia where hoop snakes existed. See, anybody know what a hoop snake is? They honestly believed there was a snake in Georgia that would grab its tail in its mouth and roll down hills like a wheel. And the people that lived there believed it. Think about that, folks. It's always the facts that count. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. Organic Matters.